Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. All right, let's uh, talk about the cultural phenomenon around us. Average attendance of over 70,000 people in each stadium. Tailgate parties in the parking lot. A projected income of 2.2 billion with a B dollars. Uh, stores have to make sure that they have all the latest uniforms to match all the fan interest. And I am not talking about football. These numbers are from the Taylor Swift Eras Tour. Look, the music is goodish. We'll go with goodish. Can I go with goodish? And not be killed? Goodish? Okay. All right. The music, the music is good. It's really well written. She's a very good songwriter. Uh, I don't think these kinds of numbers are happening because of the music. I mean, $2.2 billion by the time the Eras Tour concludes, that's the projected income, which I suppose will keep going up if she keeps adding years to the tour. But that, that number is three times the next closest concert tour. And that was uh, just a, a couple of years ago, uh, an Elton John tour that started before COVID and ended after it. Three times almost that amount. That doesn't happen because of the music, whatever you think of Elton John or Taylor Swift. I would argue that those kinds of numbers aren't about music, they're actually about community. Swifties is in itself a culture, a power disrupting, feeling belonging, economy boosting culture. And a Taylor Swift concert, by my understanding, I suppose I should confess up front, I have not been to one, so I'm just trusting reliable sources, okay? A Taylor Swift concert is not just a concert. It is a holiday event that you count down to, okay? Like, like you used to have the little paper rings for Christmas. I don't know what they use for Taylor Swift concerts, but they're counting down for months to this thing. You find the outfit, you make the bracelets, you count down the days, and then you go to the concert and you bond with 70,000 plus other people as you all sing and scream and are hoarse the next day. Because there is something about standing and singing songs you know with other people that is a bonding experience. It's one of the things that people who uh, believe that religion is all in our head would point at and go, look, it's the same as a concert. You just go and you feel better because you're singing with other people. Almost like we're made for that sort of thing. It's crazy. <laughs> now, Taylor Swift has also made sure that her fans are not just fans. She has asked them to help her negotiate contracts with their sizable social media influence and power. 
They pay hundreds of dollars for nosebleed seats. And then when she donates hundreds of thousands of dollars to charities around the country, she makes sure that they know that they made that donation possible, that they did it. Now, we are not going to be a Taylor Swift concert. If you were hoping that was the direction this church was going, I have, I'm so sorry. Uh, that's not, I'm not, hashtag sorry, not sorry. We're not, we're not going to be a Taylor Swift concert. But as we talked about last week, we are called by God and commanded by Jesus to be really good community. And whatever you think of Taylor Swift, she has proven to be really good at forming, building, maintaining some semblance, an idea of community. So what in the world can a church learn from observing a cultural phenomenon? If we are supposed to reflect a loving communal God, what can we learn from Swifties about how to be a community? Uh, There are three words that I want to zero in on. Uh, And full disclosure, these three words came out of a conversation uh, when I was in Bosnia with one of my teammates, Gwen, who you will get to hear from later in this series. And I do not remember who said which word. So we're going to give Gwen the credit for all of them. So here are the three words. Uh, Authenticity, belonging, and contribution. Authenticity, belonging, contribution. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about these three words, and they form the foundation, if you will, I believe, of building really great community. Now, some words, some words become so meaningful that then everybody wants to use them, and when everybody uses them, they become buzzwords, and when they become buzzwords, they lose all of the meaning that they had, and everybody rolls their eyes and goes, oh, not that word again. In many circles, authenticity has become one of those words. Talking about being authentic or real, because if you survey uh, millennials, which by the way, if I say millennials and you picture a 16-year-old embraces staring at their phone, uh, the millennial generation is defined by researchers, uh, the bottom of it is 25, 25 to 40-ish. They are not the future generation of the workforce. They are the current workforce, okay? Every study, study after study of millennial priorities and values lists authenticity as a preeminent value. The same is true, by the way, for every generation below them as well. There's something about this need to be real, to feel like something is authentic in a world where everything and anything could be faked. I heard the other day Johnny Cash singing the Barbie song, you know, like the 90s one from Aqua, because AI can do incredible things in a world where everything can be faked, where the next however many months we have of political engagement is going to be full of people faking things with real voices. The desire for something to be real and authentic is just really strong. And employers and advertisers know this. They watch these studies. They see the results. And so they started to toss around the world words real and authentic everywhere. You work for us. We're an authentic place. 
You, you buy our product. It is the authentic, real thing. You want to be authentically you, come buy our cheeseburger. Whatever it is, trying to capture this value in a 30-second commercial. Companies started trying to make sure they looked authentic, which, ironically, is the fastest way to not actually be authentic. So at this point, uh, authenticity seems to engender as many eye rolls as it, as it does positive emotions. And yet, if the millennial generation has perfected the eye roll at buzzwords, which we may have done, it is still listed as a preeminent value. It still matters. At East Hills, we list authenticity as one of our core values. Not because it's buzzwordy or we're trying to keep up with kids these days, but because we see in Scripture that it is a core tenant of building a Jesus-centered, Jesus-following community. So, for example, we see Jesus calling out the lack of authenticity over and over again. The one of the ways we see authenticity show up in the Gospels and this core tenet of how we build community is Jesus looks at the community around him and says, hey, you're not doing this. And not at the culture around him, but at the religious community around him, and specifically the religious leaders. And he does it a lot. We'll just look at one example. This is in Matthew chapter 23. Uh, and I am going to start, I can start a lot of places uh, in this chapter. We're going to bounce around a few different verses in Scripture, uh, different passages, which is always dangerous because we're just popping in and out of context. So if something about anything I read today feels a little strange, please, please, even if it doesn't feel strange, please uh, go and read the context of it. Uh, in this case, in uh, my Bible, in the New Living Translation, the entire chapter is just called Jesus Criticizes the Religious Leaders, and it is his monologue criticism of them. Here's just a piece of it. Verse 25, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, that's the name of the teachers of religious law. Hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. Which, teenagers, for those of you learning how to wash dishes, that is not how it works. It is a metaphor. You do have to wash both parts. Okay. <laughs> Verse 27. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. If you are somebody who is so sick of the hypocrisy of the people around you, of politicians and, uh, for sure, religious leaders standing up on a stage like this and telling you one thing when it seems like something else is true of them and their choices and their character. I have good news for you. You're not nearly as sick of it as Jesus is. This tore him apart. 
And I believe as the church around the world, and certainly in our own context, raises up too many leaders who do this, and I pray I am not one of them, we not only hurt the witness, but we break the heart of God. Jesus is so against this idea of inauthenticity, of hypocrisy, of trying to look good rather than be good. On the flip side, we see throughout uh, scripture, especially the New Testament, as this Jesus following community called the church is formed. After Jesus's life and death and resurrection, he ascends into heaven, he commissions his church, his people to go and be a God-loving, people-loving community. And over and over again, we are taught to love with authenticity, that our love has to be real and genuine. We're taught to love with it. Uh, this is uh, Romans 12, just one example of this. Uh, we read this section, uh, or a big chunk of this chapter, last week as well. I'll read 9 and 10 here. Romans 12, verses 9 and 10. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. We are commanded to love with genuineness. To come as we really are and to love people as they really are. And I really do believe that all good community, all good community, is built on authenticity. But to get into that, partly because it has become so buzzwordy, I want to make sure we also talk about what authenticity is not, what, what I don't mean when I am saying the word uh, authenticity. And for those of you following along in your notes, uh, you'll see a couple different lists there, uh, what authenticity is not and what authentic community is is down at the bottom. I'm just warning you, I'm going to be bouncing back and forth between the two lists. So let's start with this. Authenticity is not everybody knows everything about me. It's not what I mean when I say authenticity. And sometimes I think it's one of uh, the things that people push back against with the use of this word is that they feel like, oh, well, if I'm going to be authentic, everybody has to know everything about me. But that's not what we see Jesus model. And it's not what I would argue or psychologists, most at least, would argue is healthy for everybody to know everything. Now, if you're an open book person, you're like, hey, I'm okay with anybody asking me anything, I'll tell them, whatever. There is a lot of good in that. But if we feel like, nope, to, to be an authentic person, to value this word authenticity, I have to share everything about me with everybody, it's simply not true. For example, there is a story in the Gospels, uh, you can look it up in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus is talking to his uh, closest disciples. He had lots of people who were following him around, lots of crowds who would show up. He had 12 in particular that he selected to do life closely with. And he asked these 12, hey, when I'm talking and healings are happening and all these miraculous things, you guys are in and amongst the crowd, sometimes thousands upon thousands of people. What are you hearing? 
what do people say about me? Who do people say that I am? And they come back with some responses about different comparisons people are making. That, well, you're kind of like this, you're kind of like that, or sort of maybe implying that he's such and such person reincarnated, some prophet or teacher come back from the dead as some new person. And he goes, okay, but who do you say that I am? And one of them, Peter, speaks up and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. The Messiah was this loaded title that we've talked about at times, won't spend a lot of time with now, but it just means the savior of the world and of our people. You're the savior that our people have been hoping for. Now, Peter was right and the people were not. And I would expect Jesus to go, good, I'm glad you've got it. Now go tell all of them. Make sure everybody else knows. Now, there came a day when Jesus did tell them that, where Jesus has told all of us who are following him with our lives to say, yes, go tell them that the Messiah has come, the savior of the world. But that was not apparently what was needed for Jesus to live an authentic life among people. He didn't need everybody to know everything, but he did have some people, these 12, he needed, he needed them to know. We all need some people who know a lot about us. Jesus then takes three of those 12 that we assume were his closest friends because they show up in all of his most intimate moments of uh, fear or revelation or whatever it may be. And he takes them up a hillside and it's this incredible story that we call the transfiguration where uh, Jesus is transformed in front of them from looking fully human to sort of looking like a human light. And, and there are these two other ancient figures who appear next to him and the disciples somehow know, these three disciples who are with him somehow know exactly who they are. And Jesus at that point they have known him as being fully human. They've watched him get tired and hungry and eat and sleep and do all those human things. And now they get to see him as also fully divine. That there is something about Jesus that he wants them to know. He's not just fully human. He's also fully divine. Here, let me show you in this way. And then he commands the three of them not to tell anybody until after he dies. Because we all need a group of people that we're doing life with to know what's going on in our life. And we all need somebody who knows everything. But we don't need everybody to know everything. What an authentic community is, is not necessarily a bunch of people where everybody knows everything about them. But authentic community is truthful with everyone. It's truthful with everyone. They're not lying to each other. For example, Wendy knows me better than anybody else. And that is appropriate and good because we're married. Now, some of that means that she sees sides of me that I wish nobody saw. I am not going to intentionally come up here and reveal all of that to all of you. Not because I don't love you, but because that's not what we mean by authenticity and that wouldn't be healthy or appropriate. I would like to work on my character and hopefully I am and Holy Spirit is working on my character so that Wendy sees less of those sides than she has previously. 
We all need somebody who knows everything. A really mundane, sort of practical way this plays out. Uh, let's say it's a, a Sunday morning. I really am making up a fictional scenario here. Let's say it's a Sunday morning, and uh, Wendy says, uh, good morning, how, how are you doing this morning? I say, well, actually, um, I'm really afraid of this thing. I'm really scared this thing is going to happen. And I talk to her about it, tell her what it is, talk about what's going on. And then driving to church, and on the way to church, I, I stop by a coffee shop or a grocery store or whatever, and the person who's ringing me up says, hey, how you doing this morning? And I say, I'm, I'm all right. I'm getting there. I'm not trying to lie to her or him. I just don't need to share everything that I'm afraid of with them in that moment. If there's a spider on the counter and I'm afraid of that, I should share that with them. <laughs> I'm not, I don't need to be, in, it doesn't, um, it's not required to be an authentic person, to share with them what I'm afraid of. And then I drive into church, and one of you wonderful people asks me, how you doing? And I say, I'm actually uh, kind of freaked out right now, but I'm praying my way through it. I'm going to make it. Maybe that would have been an appropriate thing for me to tell the clerk. Maybe, uh, maybe the first person I run into when I get here is Jesse. And Jesse and I have worked together for 10 years, and y'all, in 10 years, we have been through some stuff. And so he says, hey, how you doing? And he is another person that I share everything that's scaring me with. There are appropriate levels of authenticity. What needs to happen, and um, if you would like a mathy term or you would like alliteration, this is going to become important later, you could use the word congruent. Everything needs to line up from relationship to relationship. I, I should not be a wholly different person with you than I am with Jesse or Wendy or the clerk at the grocery store. In whatever way that I can be congruent as a person from relationship to relationship, I should be. We should be truthful with everyone, aware that we all have faults, doing our best. To be honest about how we're doing, be honest about who we are with everybody at appropriate levels. I hope that made sense and I didn't just talk in circles. Authenticity is not, I'm perfect just the way I am. Because this is the way that culture wants to do authenticity. I am perfect just the way I am. Don't try to change me. Don't tell me I need to change anything about me. I am perfect just the way I am. Here is the scriptural problem with that. The same guy, David, in the Old Testament, we're going to hop at a couple of Psalms. The same guy wrote these two passages. This is Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. You made, this is David talking to God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You were carefully, meticulously, wonderfully made. That is true. It's also true. What he says in, verse, in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, starting in verse 4. These are his words to God here. 
Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. You desire authenticity from the moment I was conceived. It is true that you are wonderfully and meticulously made, and it is true that because you were born a human being, you were born with the curse that all creation carries, this curse of sin. We have all, every single one of us, been hurt by somebody else, and we have all hurt another person. We have all contributed to things that hurt others. It is part of this sin that we carry. And we can't simply say, hey, I am perfect the way that I am when we know that there are things in us that need to change. There are things that we know need some work, need some sort of intervention, mine, others, God's, somebody's intervention to help me grow. We all need to be formed by Christ, the only one who knows what a perfect human life is supposed to look like. So then an authentic community needs to be a compassionate community. Authentic community needs to be compassionate to recognize that both of these things are true of all of us. That we are wonderfully made and that we have all sinned, fallen short, hurt other people. We cannot be a community who encourages people to be authentic and says, all right, let's get you fixed up. Come on in, we'll, we'll take care of your mess. How many people won't walk into a church or talk to another Christian because they're just sure that is the answer that they're going to get? That they're gonna share something going on and the response is gonna be, all right, well, Come on in, let's fix you, I guess. What a mess you are. What if somebody could come into our community and say, hey, y'all, I am effed up. What are you going to do about it? And we said, hey, me too. And Jesus has a lot to say about it. And he has a lot of love and grace, and we are going to do our best to show that to you. Let's go seek out some wisdom together. Let's go find some wise community together. See what people who are ahead of us in life are saying. See what people who've experienced and needed the grace of God are saying about how we walk in that grace with each other. Authenticity is not, then, a celebration of my faults. Authenticity is not a celebration of my faults. And I want to include this one because sometimes I think we value this so highly in certain parts of society that we want to make sure we don't grow too much. We want to make sure that we hold on to some of those faults and failures and, and to make sure that we can connect with the people around us, that we don't come off in any way as holier than thou, that we can say, yeah, here's, here's my mess because... Authenticity is such a high value that we end up twisting that to be the messier a story you can tell, the more valuable and impressive 
you are. Which I know for some of you uh, who are perfectionists and performance, and that feels so inverted. But, but there is a huge chunk, of, including Christian community, who will say, let me, like the person with the most mess wins. Romans chapter three talks about it this way. And here in this, we're going to start in verse 23. Hear the mess and then what God does with it. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. When we celebrate our faults, we make our sins and our problems the point of the story. And sin is not the point of the story. Jesus' grace, his death and resurrection, new life is the point of our story. We should be formed by Christ. We should give ourselves over to that formation because he gave his life for us. And yes, agreeing with God that we are sinners in need of forgiveness and formation and new life is really important. In fact, I I think that this is a a helpful working definition for us uh, of authenticity and, and why it's important for a Jesus follower. So let's define authenticity this way. Authenticity is agreeing with God on what is true about me and presenting that truth to others. Authenticity is agreeing with God on what is true about me and presenting that truth for others. Again, it doesn't have to be all the truth to all the people, but agreeing with God on what is true about me and presenting that truth to others. This is why it can't be, authenticity can't be a celebration of our faults because this requires, like to celebrate our faults means saying this is the problem, but it's not a problem. It's okay. Authenticity requires agreeing with God that the problem is in fact a problem and something that needs to be changed, something we need to grow from in our lives. To say, God, you know, I'm, I'm angry all the time. God, you know, I am spending money I don't have just so I look more impressive to my neighbors or so that I feel better. God, you know my judgmental heart. God, you know that I am depending on a drink or a smoke or a gummy or whatever to help me relax because I just can't figure out how to depend on you. If any of those things are true of you, It is important and authentic to agree with God on what is true. God already knows those things are true of you. It's simply agreeing with him. So yeah, God, these these are the problems that I'm facing. These are the problems I'm creating. These are the hurts I'm causing. But that's not all that is true of you. You are deeply loved. You are lovable and forgivable right where you are in your life, no matter how messy or clean it feels. 
The God who made you carefully and wonderfully finds great joy and delight in you. And yes, it breaks his heart when you are hurt or hurt others. He finds great joy in who you are and who he has made you to be. Your creator and heavenly father enjoys spending time with you. These things are also true of you. And so then authenticity is agreeing with God on all that is true of you and presenting all that truth to the people around you. As we share that truth, as we express compassion and honesty, we're making little uh, deposits of trustworthiness. We're building trust in our relationships, in our community, one authentic moment at a time. And when we do that together, we are building a trustworthy community for all of us to grow and experience grace in. So one last note about being an authentic community, uh, and it might be the hardest one. An authentic community is committed to each other. An authentic community is committed to each other because if you think about any relationship where you feel like the person you're talking to has one eye on the exit and one foot out the door, At best, at best, you are going to be authentically shallow with them. For us to be able to build an authentic and trustworthy community, people have to be committed to each other. If you think about a a marriage, a family, for that to maintain its authenticity, we have to be committed to that relationship, to making it maintain and go forward. And I don't toss this one out here lightly at all. Most of us end up here at East Hills with some story of a church or church person who has hurt us. Many of us ended up here because the church community we were a part of, we felt like they used us or hurt us or betrayed us in some way. And to say, hey, to be the authentic Jesus-following community we want to be, we have to be committed to each other and committed to the health and future of this community is asking a lot. And it creates some fear and some anxiety. And I just want to acknowledge it. It Creates some skittishness. And I'm not condemning that skittishness in the slightest. But it is important for us as we follow Jesus together, as we care for one another, as we build the kind of community Jesus has called us to be, is going to be important for us to be committed to each other, to have that sense of belonging in this community. So we are going to spend next Sunday talking about belonging, what that looks like, what it means, what it doesn't, how we follow Jesus in that kind of way. For now, let's commit ourselves individually and as a community to agreeing with God on what is true about us and then sharing that truth, presenting that truth 
living that truth with the people around us. So I want to pray for us as we do that, and then I'm going to invite Al up, and we're going to talk to him about his baptism. Let me pray for us. Father God, we, we turn ourselves over to you to find out what's true. God, we want to agree with you on what's true about us. I know that there are lots of things that people in this room do incredibly well character that amazes me and I want to be more like when I grow up. I know there are things that we don't do well. Areas that we try to keep hidden from as many people as possible. God, I'm sure that there are things as a community, as a church, that we do really well. But we also want to agree with you on the things that we need to grow in. God, would you reveal what's true? because we know that you are a God of grace and a God of truth. And so we commit to being truthful with you and the people around us. And we commit to living in your grace because we know we need it. Father, we're grateful for it. Thank you for all that you did through Jesus that we could experience grace, forgiveness. We could spend time with you that we could live life with you. Father, would you come and shine a light on the beautiful things about each person in this room? Would you shine a light in the shadow places? Would you reveal what is true and in doing so, reveal just how enormous and amazing your grace is? We're so grateful for it. And so we give our lives, our church to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.